0: Well, welcome to our podcast uh, on today, the 29th of January. And today's the second Sunday in our theme of getting the message out. And the subject is integral virtue. Well, as I said, this is the second week in our series launching the year with our theme of getting the message out. And last week I said, I thought that that particular, you know, what message do we have to get out from this particular place, this chapel? And I thought that we have Um, two aspects that I think we particularly have to offer from the chapel here. One, an internal message, and one, an external message. And it's these virtues that I think that this chapel has been propounding and developing over the last 50 years, which is how long we've been here. The first message that I mentioned last week was the message of meeting anger and fear and hatred and pride and all forms of pain, of meeting those experiences with love. That we personally take what the world offers us, even the pain, and we respond with love. You know, that's, I think, lesson one. It's the lesson of the cross. You know, all that pain that Jesus had. He didn't project it out and say it's all the Romans' fault. He said, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. He took that pain and he responded with love. And the word we came up with, with it was emotional photosynthesis, which I think really sort of describes it, taking the heat and turning it into love. You know, plants take the heat of the sun and they turn it into sugar, and that's what is known as photosynthesis. And it enables carbon dioxide and water to become oxygen and that gives us life. You know, the huge rainforests all over the world help keep our planet oxygenated. And in the same way as human beings, I think we have the capability of taking those negative emotions of fear and anger and sadness and grief, taking in the pain we feel and giving out love. That's the internal process that we're able to do. And more often than not, when people feel pain, they project that pain onto others, blaming them for their pain. And we see it in families, we see it in communities, we see it in countries. It's what scapegoating is all about. And what emotional photosynthesis enables is for the pain to be taken in and not projected out to others, but converted into, into, in, into love. And like trees... It happens one person at a time. And it's our true role as an evolved human being. That's how we take responsibility for the world, one person at a time. And that process is the process that sounds grand, but will enable our planet to be transformed. In fact, you know that's how world peace eventually will come about, if it does. It's through individual process of transformation. That's message one, I think, for the chapel. The second message is one of inclusion. That old guru story, when the guru is asked, how should we treat others? She says, there are no others. And that's our message here. You know, The recognition that we're all connected, that our neighbor's problem is our problem. And that if we don't help them sort it out, then the results of that problem will be visited on us eventually if we don't sort out our neighbour's problem. And that applies to individuals, to communities, and to countries. And it's the answer to all the problems we're facing in globalisation. We share the problems and we solve them together because we are all of one consciousness. And that's the consciousness that will enable us to solve the problems created by a me-first consciousness that's been so prevalent since the Enlightenment. So those are the two messages. And today I want to talk about the first element of the message. And next week we're going to talk about the second. Next week we'll talk about the inclusion, the interconnectivity. But today we want, I want to talk about that first aspect of it. Um, and I theme this service, Integral Virtue, And it carries on from the reading we had last week from Lao Tzu's Hua Hu Ching, uh, the collective writings uh, that followed the Tao Te Ching from Lao Tzu. Just to clear things up, Heinz, Heinz said it was written 1,500 years ago. I said it was written 5,000 years ago, typical minister to exaggerate. And in fact, it was written 500 years B.C., um, and that's about 2,500 years ago. So I hope we can agree to split the difference there. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, that's right. So, but, uh, um, you know, in that reading that we had last week, he, it says that uh, one who is integrally virtuous, and that's where I got this idea from, one who is integrally virtuous does not sit back and enjoy the loftiness of his own spiritual achievement while the world engages in bloodshed because of people's ignorant attachment to particular ideas and theologies. And that does really beg the question of what is integral virtue? It said one who is of integral virtue does not sit back on their amazing wisdom while the world is in bloodshed. What is integral virtue? And I suppose the whole of Hua Hu Ching, you know, if you read it, it's slightly more obscure than the Tai Ching, but it's about that. But here's a reading uh, that comes right after last week's reading that sets out um, about integral virtue. I'm going to ask Ritter to come up and read that.
1: The highest teaching is wordless because the subtle integral truth itself is unspeakable unexplainable, unthinkable. One who tries to talk about it only deviates from it and makes it obscure. One who thinks about it loses it. All we can do, therefore, is show the way to the traveler. We cannot walk it for him. We can write the prescription, but we cannot drink the bitter herbal tea for him. All teachings are like medicine, which is given to the sick, according to the disease they have. There is no single word which can be held as the total truth. There is only the integral way of life. An integral being lives quietly, connecting himself with the wordless truth of life, undividedly, selflessly, harmoniously. To be aware of being with the integral one is like watching the reflection of the moon on the surface of a still lake. Actually, the moon is not in the lake, yet people speak of it as so. If by chance clouds appear and cover the moon, people say that it it has departed from the lake, yet has actually gone nowhere. The relationship between the universal soul and the individual soul is like the relationship between the moon and the lake. Spiritual security is always present, but the clouds of the mind create the phenomena of apparent separation. The true nature of the universe is always self-existent, never failing to respond to an individual's straight and direct awareness. If an individual is aware enough, he realizes that the integral one does not come only at the time of awareness. When one's mind is disturbed or confused, the integral one seems to disappear, yet one's true nature has not departed One creates the darkness, which covers the light, that is always available to freely support one's soul. It is the double vision of the mind which leads people to create mischief, agony, misery, and tragedy. The source of all suffering is an individual's stubborn adherence to the establishment of self, which separates him from his integral nature. It is not that the integral way chooses to be with one person or another, there are no images which should be held onto and no blessing which should be sought. There is no single virtue on which one should focus, nor any special names one should revere. Thus, when one attains integral awareness, he can directly rejoice his true nature, which is the subtle cosmic body of the integral one.
0: Victor, thank you. And it sounds complicated, but there really is. You know, so much in there, so much that that resonates, I think, with the passages of traditional scripture. You know, to begin with, there's that idea that's in the Tao Te Ching, you know, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. And it really is a lesson to all ministers, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And we don't. We we do, we, we come out here and we give all this stuff, you know, we give the ideas, but really we don't know. And the moment you start, it's so difficult because it says the moment you start talking about it, you've lost it. The moment you start thinking about it, you've lost it. The moment you start trying, you've lost it. And it's a good, humbling beginning to realize that we cannot approach the nature. Because, you know, we're not made to do that. We're not made to fully understand what is going on. Our brains, you know, I've always said this, like a fish trying to understand what a cash register is. It can't. (laughs) There's just so much of a gap and for us to really to try and you know, know it is just impossible. And so we have to start from that moments of humbling. There is, and I love that there is no single word that can be held as total truth. I mean, how great to have that. There is no single word. There is only the integral way. That first message we have, the lesson of meeting anger, fear and pride and all forms of pain with love. That thing that I mentioned is such an impossible thing to do. It's such an impossible thing to do, yet it's our task. Now, I'm like, you know, I stand up here as how wonderful and I give all my stuff about how one should do that. And Last week, I suggested the nature we should respond with love to everything and how this was important. And then I went running around the golf course in Snowmass. And as I ran around the first time, this, this dog came towards towards me barking and I was like ran along like this and his owner was totally oblivious to the dog barking and I ran around again I came around a second and there was a dog in the second oh, 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 ran after me biting you know sort of, a, sort of barking at me I began, it began to get a bit cross and the third time I went around the dog went for me and beat me and I turned around and I said to them, can't you go to your dog and she looked at me she said get over it and just walked on <laughs> So, you know, it was such a lesson, you know. Uh, and, and so, of course, I was going around the third, the next time. I get around three times. I was going around the next time. I said, what am I going to say? Now? How am I going to be the truth to her? You know, what's the, <laughs> luckily I was spared. She'd gone. <laughs> but it really, you know, it really showed me how impossible it is to really respond in that way. In also, I mean, this was literally half an hour after I left the chapel. Being Mr. Marvelous and saying how things were. You know, this who is this crazy guy? His dog just bit him. It doesn't really matter. You know, meeting anger, fear, hatred and pride and all forms of pain with love is really, you know, those of you who want that Christian gospel, really another way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. That's just another way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. It's an impossible thing for the mind to conceive doing which is why it says here that the essence of integral virtue, and remember, uh, uh, virtue is really moral life and conduct or right action. That's what the nature of virtue is. It's it's right action. It's good conduct. That's what virtue is. So the essence of integral virtue is living, living the integral way is the way of living right action in our lives. Living the integral way is living right action in our life. And this passage is really saying that the ego or the mind cannot really conceive what right action is. You can't make it up. You just have to be there and do it. So when you think about emotional photosynthesis, the idea of the heat, taking the heat and turning it into love, our immediate reaction is we think, how do I do that? How do I do that? And this passage and it's all to say, but it tells us there's no actual how in there there's no actual how. all the teachings are like medicines, it says, which is given to the sick according to the disease they have. so it's not about having a right method of doing it. you know the universe actually comes into your life and does teach you through the way that you respond To the universe, it gives you... I had a perfect lesson with that dog last week. It was just so perfect. I couldn't believe it. You know, it really got me clear. And I really wanted... I thought, you know, no point in trying to say how it's done because you, you can't. You will always respond in the way we're living. When we're living with that integral way, we hear what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, and we respond appropriately without thinking about it. It is a natural response to life. It is a livingness, integral virtue. It's not a thinkingness. It's a beingness. Integral means of or pertaining to the whole. That's what it means, of or pertaining to the whole. Belonging as a part to the whole. And we will go on a bit more into the idea of interdependence next week. But today, we're seeing that right action depends on being with the invisible flow of life. It's not about thinking about it. It's about being with an invisible flow of life. And I love the idea that, that we think we're in touch with the way of life. We think we're in touch with it, but it's not so. We we we. We create the darkness that covers the light. You know, our very mind creates that darkness, even if we're trying to be in the integral flow. The source of all suffering, it says, is an individual's stubborn adherence to the establishment of the self which separates him or her from the integral nature. The source of all suffering, you know, it's worth worth getting this, the source of all suffering is an individual's stubborn adherence to the establishment of the self which separates him or her from the integral nature. That Thomas Merton's false self, it's it's our insistence on our ideas of what's right and what's wrong. It is the clouds of the mind that create the phenomena of apparent separation. And that lovely analogy that we find elsewhere in Buddhist writings, the relationship between the universal soul and the individual soul, that, that's our relationship, is like the reflection of a moon in a still lake. And I've got that picture of the moon on, on your service sheet. Actually, the moon is not in the lake. If clouds appear like the clouds of the mind, people say the moon has left the lake. Yet, it, Actually, it's gone nowhere. The moon, the universal soul, is always there. We just create the separation that makes it seem not so. That is the truth at the essence of life, that however much we want to argue about the fact that we are separate, we are not. We are connected. And if you want proof that you're connected, it's your very aliveness. You would not be alive without a connection to the integral, the, the universal soul. You would not be alive. You would not be without that. So right now, all of us, whether we like it or not, whether we're miserable, whether we are all living in that integral way, and yet often our mind refuses to accept it. it says there is no moon in the lake, there is only darkness, there is no moon in the lake. It described that moon in the lake as spiritual security you know which Christians would describe as salvation It's a place of safety. but to know that the moon is still there, even when we cannot see it, is to live in that love and therefore enable us to respond with love in all situations. It has to be that way. We have to know it somewhere deeply in our heart. There are no image... I love this bit as well. There are no images that we should hold on to. No single virtue upon which we should focus. There is just the awareness of our true nature in the individual soul. The moment we start thinking about this or about that or about some morality or about... Then we're lost. We're making that an idol that thing that we make it about. We are part of that universal soul. And it is not specific to any one idea, feeling, doctrine, idea, virtue, or belief. None of it is it. None of it is it. It just is. And that's hard. Because we always want it to be about something. We want something to hang on to, to guide us and, and to tell us the way. But the moment you make something the way, it becomes something else. The moment you make something, it's this chair was the way. Before it was just a chair. Now it's the way, something completely different. We have focused on that. We've made it into something. And we make it into something. And that leads us off because it's a product of our mind trying to get it right. It's a product of our mind trying to get it right. And the way that we become able to transform all forms of pain into love is to take the anger and grief and fear and pride and respond with love by giving up our agendas, by giving up our idols, by giving up our long-held beliefs, our virtues, our ideas about how we get it right, and just being open to being led in the moment. This is what Lao Tzu calls undiscriminating virtue. It is a virtue that does not discriminate in one way or another. And funnily enough, Meister Eckhart talks about this. He says it's so interesting the way these these things link up. But Meister Eckhart says he's a, he was a 14th century Miss German mystic, which is you know way after. But he says to be in God's love. To be in God's love, and that's what we're talking about integral virtue, to be in the love of God, to be in the flow, one must become truly poor. Now, he's not talking about giving your money away and houses. He's talking about internally, in terms of who we are, to become truly poor. And that means free from willing everything as when we were born. He says that means to be truly poor is to be as free from being. Our willingness, our mind being in control of things as when we were born. As long as you, this is it, as long as you try to do the will of God, it's difficult this, but as long as you try to do the will of God, or long in any way for God, you're not truly poor. Because your mind is in charge. Your mind is trying to work out what to do. Your mind is trying to work out how to be with God. My says, he alone, she alone is truly poor, who wills nothing, knows nothing, and desires nothing. You let go of outcomes. It is just a beingness. And it is difficult because our lives are so forced into outcomes in all circumstances. You know, even, even this message is forced into an outcome. I want you to get what I'm saying. You know, I want you to get what I'm saying. I want you to think it's great. I want you to go out and get them. I mean, it's all, you know, I'm speaking against myself. But you have to let go of that. Of course, the danger is that if we don't have agendas, then what will be, you know, if we do take on agendas, you know, if we do take on our agendas, the danger is that if we take on our agendas, then... What we'd be led into is giving that dog a damn good kick. I mean, you know, if you've got an agenda which says, you know, this dog should not be biting me and you telling me to get off, you know, to get over it, you know, you'd want to give them a damn good kick. But the integral way is really about being, becoming part of that universe, universal soul and letting that soul guide you and tell us what to do and how to be. You've got to trust that universal soul in your life. We have to become models of that and take that message out from here and demonstrate it in our lives. And that's, that's why practice is so important. You know, that's why I always bang on about having a practice. But unless you're practicing it, whether it's on the mountains or in your bed or on the cushion or wherever it is, unless you are practicing giving up on those agendas of opening yourself up to emptiness, then you'll always just respond From your mind, because you're not training yourself to get beyond that. Practice is so important. It is that practice that we literally practice to know that the moon is there. We practice to know that the moon is there, whether or not we can see it in the lake. Wanting for nothing, willing nothing, knowing nothing, is the most important of all things. Remembering that the old virtue that our striving... We'll try and continue to fill ourselves up with wisdom. Always we're trying to fill ourselves up. And there's nothing that we could put in there anymore now. What we have to do, we have to empty ourselves. That is what we have to do. And yet we try and fill ourselves up all the time. Remembering the old thing that our striving, we continue to fill ourselves up with wisdom and knowledge until it overflows and we can't get anything more in there. What we need to do is to empty ourselves so that we become part of that universal soul and are guided. That's, that, that really is. And that, you know, just to be a good old Christian stuff, is the way of kenosis, which Cynthia will, will tell you is the emptying out. Jesus made himself nothing, just a servant. You know, you empty yourself out. It's the kenotic way. It is, the, you know, just to ground ourselves in that Christian tradition. Here in the chapel, you know, we have spent 50 years preparing ourselves in the chapel, for this sort of thing. You're looking at religions, beliefs, and ideas, and more importantly, unlooking at them. Disabusing ourselves of the culture and the baggage that are held within those beliefs so that we can receive what's truly there. Not making Christianity about the story of Jesus or his teachings, but making it about the practical ways that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength and love, our neighbor as ourselves, which is the essence of it. It's about the practice of that that we're interested in here. Our purpose is to live more skillfully. That's the purpose of coming here, is to learn how to live more skillfully, not to propagate a series of beliefs, morals, and doctrines. We're not interested in that. We're wanting to learn how to become better human beings. And as I said last week, you know, whether you like or not, we are the flower of the last 50 years here. All the world, all the work that's been done by our predecessors has produced us. Everything that they've done has produced us. So whether it's your first time that you've come here, or you've been here for 30 years, or like me, two years, we've been drawn here because we've responded to something that we've heard or seen that speaks to us of truth and right living. That's why we're here. Something that responds to us of truth. Uh, that, that speaks to us of truth and right living and being here we now bear the responsibility to make all that work over the last 50 years count here and now we are the message of the chapel and how we take ourselves out from here will make a difference you know we are the message not what's written down not what we say about the chapel it's our faces In our faces, they will see the message. In our actions, they will see the message. And Jesus said it perfectly. (coughs) Jesus said it perfectly. He said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Emotional photosynthesis. That's where it's at. Let's pray. Particularly think today of those suffering from loss. Particularly think of Jill Sheely and her family suffering from the loss of Don. And the family of Charlie Tripp dying this morning. Lord, we just ask your love and care to come from us into those families, that you will bless them and enable them to deal with their grieving. Also, particularly lift up Tom Hirsch, also grieving the loss of Maureen. Lord, we pray for those who are we know are not well at the moment, people who are suffering. And we particularly think of Tracy Houston, of Anne Hodges. Think of Christian Mayer having a month-long treatment in Mexico. I do ask you to pray for Christian during the week, a Paul Mayer, a Valbritt Karlberg, Will Welsh, Barbara Orcutt and Patricia Hill, anyone that we can think of in our hearts and minds now. We'd like to send your love to. Pray for our town during this time of the X Games. Pray for safety for all those working around that, all those on the mountains today, working the lifts, ski patrol, Just pray for their safety and we pray for all the visitors to our town and to the valley here that you will look after them. Pray for those who at the moment are in fear in their lives of one way or another, feeling insecure. In any circumstances, situation, we ask your blessing upon them that they will be given good neighbours around them and given a sense of your love. Pray for our country at this time you will bless our leaders and put your peace and love in their hearts and our world as well, that there'll be a sense of coming together and sense of an understanding of how we are all connected and, and we can solve each other's problems. Lord, we offer ourselves and all this in Jesus' name. Amen.